Hello, folks. John Otterstead today for the Scarlet Nation podcast. I am without Bobby Darren, and I think I have someone who you're really going to enjoy hearing from. It is former Rutgers Scarlet Knight, Pete Tverdov. He is someone who I followed back from his high school days in Union, straight through his times at Rutgers. And I still keep in touch with him time to time through the wonders of the internet. And I thought this would be a great opportunity today because Pete is still very involved following the program. And I thought we'd bring him on the show, talk to him a little bit about what he notices going on within the Scarlet Knight program, and in particular, answer a question that really is on the tip of my tongue lately is, what can Rutgers do to turn this thing around, not only in the short term, but in the long term? And really, when you want to get some great insight, you have to go to someone who's been there before. So with no further ado, Pete Tverdov, welcome to the Scarlet Nation podcast. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. Pete, uh, you know why I brought you on, and you know why I brought you on, you know, what the whole point of today's podcast is. So I really just want to begin by digging into what I guess has gone wrong thus far. Um, To me, I was very surprised at how things turned out last week. Maybe you were, maybe you weren't. When you look at how things have been going with the Scarlet Knights, were you surprised last week? And what do you think went wrong? Uh, To be honest, uh, I was not surprised. Uh, Only in a sense that uh, I, I remember how hard it truly is to win a college football game. And, uh, and I tell people this all the time who sit around me, but if, uh, if you're not ready to go for a football game, it doesn't really matter who you're playing. You, you could get beat. And, you know, back when we, when I used to play, uh, coach Shana used to say, and it's honestly true, but, uh, anybody could beat anyone on any given Saturday. And, uh, you know, I read about, uh, EMU a little bit and saw they were actually a pretty decent team. Uh, which you know, which made me a, a little bit more nervous because you know I know I know how those games could be if you're not really locked in and ready to go and you're like oh this team's a lower level you know we'll you know we'll just cruise through this if you if you're if you're not treating every team the same way then uh, you got a problem on your hands and I unfortunately I I worried that could be the case and then just watching the first quarter I I knew there was a problem. Now, when you say there was a problem in terms of that mental aspect, do you see this as like a little road bump in the path towards a better season, or is this something that we should be concerned about moving forward? No, I think it's a road bump. I think it's human nature. You know, we, I mean, unfortunately, we, we weren't very good last year. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, everyone was surprised how well we played in week one. You know, we were pretty competitive and, you know, guys are feeling good about themselves and, uh, you know, you just, you don't prepare as much as you should, uh, the week leading up to it, you don't, uh, you're just not mentally ready to go like you normally would be. Um, so, you know, that's not the first time this has happened with, with our program as, as many people know. Um, and and it won't be the last it's human nature. You know, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to not fall into that trap. When you look at that, do you place more blame on the coaching staff or the players? Uh, both. Um, you know, I'm sure Coach Ash would say, you know, ultimately everything falls on him. But, uh, you know, he, 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 he needs to, to motivate them. And, and, and I think, you know, I think they did a pretty good job from what I was reading in the press that, uh, you know, this team is not to be taken lightly. But, 
that that the the blame is is collective. It's not just coaches. It's not just players. It, it's both. When you were out there as a Rutgers Scarlet Knight and you had a down game, how does a team go about rebounding from that? Is it doubling up the intensity? Does the staff come out and is it a more no-nonsense piece heading into the next week? Or is it hitting the – I don't know. Just give me some insight into what you might you know, foresee going on this week in preparation. I'm sure guys are, are upset, but at the same time, you can't let – one bad thing create you know created a domino effect. Uh, it's just something you have to flush and then and focus on the next week and and remember the feeling and and not want it to happen again. When you look at the team and you've seen their strengths, you've seen their weaknesses this year. Let's just talk a little bit about what you have seen that's been encouraging thus far, and then we'll talk a little bit about what concerns you moving forward. So, what have you seen on the positive side? Well, being a defensive player, uh, definitely noticed a big uh, change in the kicking game. Uh, the, the new kid who uh, kicks off is a lot better than last year. The punter, uh, I'm very impressed with. He's real. He might be the best punter I've seen since I, I played. Uh, no disrespect to some of my former teammates, but he that kid's good. He's got a, a heck of a leg, and it's a real weapon. Uh, defensively, you know, any, anytime you have a, a longer field to defend, uh, it makes it easier on the defense. And then, and then defensively, I would say they're they're playing better um, than last year, and then even than two years ago. Uh, I'm a little biased based on the era I played in. I would like to see them pressure a lot more, but uh, you know, uh, I think they're they're doing well defensively and and in the kicking game. Well, on the negative side, what do you see as a concern moving forward? Um, you know, offensively, they, they, they have to be more explosive. They have to, uh, you know, I, I guess the margin for error offensively is a little bit smaller. Um, you know, coverage units, you know, it's still a work in progress. It's better than last year, but, um, you know, anytime the offense can move the ball, the ball and score points, it's you know, obviously it's it's encouraging to the defense. Yeah, but why aren't they scoring points? I think that's the the big question. Do you think it's a a talent issue right now? Do you think it's the coaching staff hasn't found their rhythm or their style of play? Uh, I, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, you know, I actually do think they have some talent this year. Last year, frankly, I didn't really think they did on the offensive or defensive side of the ball, really. But, um, you know, they have some talent this year offensively, but when you think about it, there's a bunch of true freshmen, right? So they've played a total of eight quarters. Then you have a, you know, a guy who transferred the tight end who I think he might be an NFL player. He's, he's, he looks good so far, but you know, he hasn't played that much football. The quarterback hasn't really played that much football. The starting tailback hasn't really played that much football. So, and then you know our, our offensive coordinator, who I thought was a great hire, he hasn't called the game in uh, you know quite a long time. So that's a lot of new uh, moving parts that need to gel quickly. And uh, you could only gel so much in the spring and in training camp, but uh, the real development happens when you don't you're not really familiar with the other team's players or scheme, and, and you have to adjust and, and adapt. So. I think that that's a, a big part of it. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, it's 
another year with another offensive coordinator. Whereas the defense, this is the the second year of the of the same scheme, so you're you're thinking less and you're playing faster. So uh, I'm not totally surprised that uh, offensively they're struggling a little bit. But um, you know, the only way you get out of that is just to to fight and grind and and work to get better. Well, when you were screaming at the field on Saturday, because I'm sure there were points where, as a fan, you were frustrated. What were those moments or what were those wrinkles to the game or aspects of the game that frustrated you in the heat of the moment? Uh, just just execution and, and sloppiness. Um, frankly, the, the way we played, I didn't think we deserved to win. Just sloppy. Uh, you know, there, there's a couple of key plays in the game that you got to make them. And, uh, you know, in a given football game, there's, unless it's a blowout, there's probably seven or eight plays in a game that really define the game. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we didn't make them. We didn't take advantage of them. When you look at the rest of the season, I know there's some difficult games on the schedule. What do you have to see in order for you to come out of this season with a positive vibe heading into the next year? Yeah, that, that that's hard to say because I, I know – you know, everyone obviously wants to see production and, you know, in wins and losses. Um, you know, and I go back to the, the early Shiano years where, uh, you know, it was ugly. Um, you know, I, I guess progress is hard to measure. I, I would definitely say uh, defensively if they're moving in the right direction, which I think they are, uh, you know, I, Obviously, you want to see how younger players are progressing because they'll be with the program going forward. Uh, you know, how do we look uh, tackling wise? Are we committing a lot of penalties? Are we forcing turnovers? Are we taking care of the football? Things like that usually are correlated with winning football games. Um, so, you know, limiting big plays. Uh, you know, so I feel like if we, if you, see more and more of that i mean generally you should be if not competitive then winning football games but like i said earlier it's very difficult to win a college football game even even against the the opponent this week uh, you know i know people roll their eyes but it honest to god it's true like if you were not locked in ready to go it's it's difficult so you might be coached up to you know to play to play a certain way but uh, at the end of the day, you also have to execute. And so anyway, I, I think if they do execute, then, uh, you know, hopefully there's a few teams that they could beat because um, there's some there's some tough teams, but not every team on the schedule is a world beater. It's Unfortunately, though, it seems like some of the teams that Rutgers fans had penciled in as definite wins are looking pretty good this year. Like take Purdue, for example. That doesn't seem to be the pushover people thought it was going to be a few weeks ago. No, but you know what? Everyone looks different every week, right? I mean, last week you had the commentator saying we might be a bowl team, and now and now this week, you know, everyone at Rutgers wants to jump off a cliff. So it, it varies from it varies from week to week. Um, you know, injuries happen. You, you lose depth. So who who knows uh, what'll happen in a, in a month or two? But and I'm sure the staff isn't really worried about that. They're worried about this week. And then after this week's over, they're worried about the following week. Well, Pete, I know you follow recruiting very closely, and I know you have a pretty good sense of who Rutgers has recruited over the past few years, the overall talent and depth on the roster. 
you have to have a sense of where they are relative of where they need to be to compete week in and week out. Where do you think they are right now? And where do you think they have to go in order to be even just a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team? Uh, I mean, they're not there yet. Um, and I apologize if you know that upsets some people, but it's the truth. Um, they're not there yet. The, you know, the, the, the freshman class that they brought in was, I thought, really solid. Uh, a lot of the previous classes in the flood regime – not so much. Uh, and, you know, football takes time to, uh, to develop, you know, even, even freshmen who are going to be talented in two or three years. Right now they're freshmen. They don't know anything. The only thing they do know is they know they know nothing. So, you know, it, it, it takes time for those kids to develop. But, I, you know, I, I thought he, like I said, I thought he signed a good class in 2017. Uh, a decent amount of the kids in 2018 I like. At the end of the day, um, you know, I know people get hung up on this. I don't really care because I think I was like ranked the lowest in the history of rivals. But like, I really don't think stars matter. I think what matters is number one: does the kid love football? Especially given our circumstance, because you're not going to flip this program around if you have kids that don't eat, breathe, and sleep football. Uh, and you know. I think we have, I think we're getting more and more kids like that in the program. And I think the kids that, that were left over from the Kyle Flood years that are still here, I think, you know, a decent amount of those kids also uh, are like that or are, or are learning to be like that. So, so that's the first thing. They have to love football. The second thing is, uh, you know, obviously they need to be talented, right? Because, you know, we're, we're playing in the Big Ten. We're, we're playing against Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State every year. And that's not going to change. So they have to be talented as well, um, you know. And and the third thing, they you know they have to be grinders, and they have to be tough. Uh, so you know, I, like I said, I think we're we're doing well uh, recruiting. You know, I know some people get caught up in stars, but sometimes there's a reason why you know we don't pursue a player who you know, let's say, is from the state of New Jersey, is highly ranked, has all these offers. He might he might not be a fit for for what we're trying to do. He might not be a fit for our scheme. Or you dig a little, little deeper, and the kid doesn't really like football. He's never never around in class. So there's a lot that goes into it. It's not as you know black and white as people think. Like oh, this kid has 30 offers. We should you know why why aren't we in it with this kid? Well, there's there's reasons behind that. It's funny you mention that because I was talking to a gentleman who was a Division One wrestler a couple of days ago, and he was. You know, his point was along the same lines of what you were saying. He said, John, at this level, when you're on a Division One squad, every kid was the man in high school. Every kid was a champion. That's right. Every kid is a stud. There isn't that great a deal separating one kid from the next. But the thing that separates them is their dedication to the sport. You know, he said, I think, I think he said they all have a – the guys who are the champions like have a little, little screw loose. Those are the guys who are waking up earlier, who are eating better, working out harder – grinding more and he says that's the difference and you have to recruit those guys and it, you know you look at who doesn't pan out I mean, there's four-star guys who pan out because they might have four-star bodies they might have put together a four-star body of work in high school but when they're against a bunch of other college level recruits that's when you know the rubber meets the road and 
you know, some of those guys aren't cut out to, to produce at the college level. Well, yeah. And, and I've, you know, I, I've, I've talked to my brother about that and, and some of the, uh, some of his teammates who I've met, you know, I've said, guys, every team in your conference lifts when you lift, right? Like every team practices when you practice. So how are you getting better? Right. So are you, are you getting an extra lift in on a Wednesday? Are you watching film uh, to prepare for the opponent instead of playing video games? Are you getting your whole unit in to watch film in, instead of, you know, screwing around? Um, and, and it might seem like, uh, like, wow, these, you know, these kids need to have fun. That's great. It, you know, if you want to have fun, you're going to go two and 10, you know, uh, you have your whole life to have fun. And, and it sounds, it sounds really brutal, but like when I played, we didn't have many guys going out. Uh, if they did go out, they weren't really partying. The kids who did party, I don't think they played much. Uh, and we had a bunch of grinders, period. We had, uh, you know, guys waking up at 6 a.m. to watch film. We had guys, you know, 8, 9 o'clock at night watching film, watching film with their unit. We had guys doing extra lifts every week and just completely outworking people. And, uh, you know, that, that's really the only way to to advance. And it's not just in football, in my opinion. That's, you know, my own personal philosophy. That's That's life, right? I mean at least in this country, you could, you could work your, your tail off and make a, a pretty good life for yourself. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's any, any different, uh, playing football. You, you outwork people, you're going to beat them. It's when you're talking about all this, it just makes me think about how the conversations that, you know, a lot of the conversations people have on the board is why isn't this guy playing? And they'll look at a high school rating and perhaps their highlight tape and they'll criticize the coaching staff but there's so much more that goes into it. I thought perhaps you could comment a little. I know we're getting off topic a little bit uh, regarding what we came here to talk about today, but I, I find it so interesting that I know you call it the internal dynamics, the internal politics, the internal everything that goes on once a guy's on a team that decides whether he ultimately plays and succeeds. Can you comment a little bit about on that? A little bit about that? Yeah. So I mean, usually that's a kid who is just not doing what. 99% of his teammates are doing. So maybe he's not showing up to class. Maybe he's not, he's missing training room sessions. Maybe he, when he goes into the game, he's, he's blowing multiple assignments. And at that point, it doesn't really matter. It, you can't trust the guy, right? So it doesn't really matter how talented they are. You can't trust him to, to be, you know, in a certain spot. And, uh, you know, that's really all there is to it. The coaches aren't dumb. There's, you know, they make a lot of money. They're not going to, deliberately not play a player just for no reason. They're not going to play him because he's not doing the things everyone else is asked to do. Um, it's, it, it's really that simple. And as far as, you know, what the kid is rated, it's not just the coaches, the players, no one cares. And again, this is stuff I tell my brother, not one guy in on that team cares what you were rated in training camp, a walk on or a four or five star player. They're equal. No, like no, nobody cares. In, uh, on the team and, and they shouldn't because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, what Mike Farrell thought you were rated in t-shirts and shorts. It, it matters what you do in college. Yeah. I, I focus on these things just because as the moderator of the scarletnation.com message board, I'm constantly having to sift through posts where people are second guessing the coaching staff. And I understand it because I do it myself. I was driving home the other day talking to a friend on the phone and you would have thought that I was the one who was 
you know, years and years of playing experience at the college level and coaching and things like that. I'm a, I'm an idiot. I have no say and I shouldn't be talking about it, but that's what we do, you know, as people who are fans of college football. And I thought back to like some common names in the past when fans were talking about DeAntoine Williams, should he be playing? Shouldn't he be playing? I mean, there were heated conversations on the board that the Rutgers coaching staff were idiots and they were mis, you know, misusing him. The past couple of years with Hayden Reddick, how could the staff not know what they have at their disposal? Whatever. I, I just wonder, as someone who's been there, do you still fall into that trap too of second guessing the staff relative to who they play and how much they play them? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, I, I don't know everything that's going on. So, you know, and, and the, co- the coaching staff can't answer every question the fans have. And, and sometimes, frankly, it's it's not their business for one reason or another because of, you know, scheme or game plan or or, or maybe, you know, what the kid's actually uh, been doing to not earn playing time. But uh, it's, yeah, not to get too off topic, but that's it's not like a conspiracy theory or anything like that. It's just really you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And sometimes it could be off the field stuff too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, they can't even as much as they want to win. I assume that there's certain points where they can't elevate a, a kid to you know, starting status just because he's the best player. If he's not doing, he's supposed to be doing. If he's setting a bad example for the rest of his teammates, or you know, whatever it is, academic, social. I guess that there comes a point where they can't. They have to, you know, do the right thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, that that might depend because I. You know, when I played, like, you know, Kenny Britt didn't get in one you know, drop of trouble uh, off the field. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, he's a first-round draft pick. So I, I do think you have to make certain exceptions, but uh, you have to be very calculated with that, too. Right. Well, how close do you think this team is right now to winning? Like, when you see this team playing – are you thinking to yourself, man, the ball bounces the other way. This team is, they're on the right path. After that first game, were you thinking they were possibly a bowl team? Or are you thinking they're closer to being a winless team? Or just where in that whole scheme of things do you think the team falls right now? Uh, I mean, I you know, I, I think, you know, I think like maybe, you know, four wins. Um I'm going to get killed for saying that. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I think, I think fans, you know, I could get, this happens to me too, but you know, people get, you can't let your highs get too high and your lows get too low. You know, I don't think we're a terrible football team. I don't think, you know, we're, we're going 0-12. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I, I do think we have some talent on the offensive side of the ball, which is good. Uh, you know, we have got the guys have to continue to gel um, and and make plays and uh, and work, you know, and, and and learn how to win. The the problem is outside the seniors, no one's gone to a bowl game, so I don't really think a lot of these guys on the team know how hard it is to win. Yeah, I when you mentioned seniors before, it made me think of how many there are a bunch of seniors on the team right now, including those fifth years and Rutgers is putting a lot of stock in their contributions this year, and they won't have those guys next year. Did you think it was a good – I mean, I, I guess you're going to say it was a good idea because they needed a talent influx. But for a program that's building, what are your thoughts on heading after transfers and fifth-year seniors? I, I, I like the grad transfer uh, rule because um, I think it's basically the college football equivalent of free agency. 
Uh, and usually you have a kid who's mature, who doesn't care, you know, how shiny a football facility is, doesn't believe, you know, a bunch of smoke being blown up his butt like a, like a high school kid might. Uh, you know, it, it's a business decision. JUCOs are a much bigger gamble. You know, that's a coin flip. You don't, you just don't really know what you're getting. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it was a good idea to go after the grad transfers and I think it will continue to be a good idea until we've recruited a couple classes of talented high school kids who, who don't transfer out because, you know, they're, they're not fit for division one football or, or, or they're not good enough. Well, before I let you go, Pete, I have to ask you about what it was like watching the recruiting process the second time, this time through the eyes of your brother, who is now a freshman on the Scarlet Knight team. It had to have been a, you know, it was many years had passed, or I guess a few years had passed since you had been through the process. What was it like going through it a second time? Oof, uh, I don't think it gets any easier. It, it was, it was stressful. Um, the hardest part was really helping him sort through all the, all the baloney. Like, you know, there's a couple schools that really negatively recruited Rutgers. Um, you know, uh, and then, then we're, you know, basically lying to him. Uh, and, and, you know, he's 17 and, you know, the kids you know at 17 think they know everything and they don't. And I remember him telling me, uh, Boston College led for him, and I literally could not sleep that night. And it wasn't because you know it was Boston College; it's because they were lying to him so badly, and uh, to the point where I was almost going to call up the uh, the recruiter and the head coach and just like tear into them. But I was like, no, you know, I I don't want to meddle too much, and you know, so so it, it's tough. And, and honestly, like if you don't have someone who's gone through it. I, I'm not surprised that a lot of these kids and, and parents fall, you know, fall for the baloney. Like the, 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 the biggest one I see is when the, everybody knows that the kid is not playing the position he wants to play in uh, college. Right. And like nine schools offer him to play position X and the 10 schools like, Oh, well you want to play position Y we'll let you play position Y. And he signs with that school in the middle of nowhere. And after a semester, they convert him to position X like the other nine schools would have. It's like stuff like that. Like, like, like a couple schools, one might get like a, a different position. I was like, you're, you're not, you're not that position. Uh, so you know, I, I think it's, uh, I think it was very helpful for him that I had gone through it. Uh, I was happy when he committed and when it was done. Um, you know, it uh, wasn't easy. Well, let's wrap this up. I'm going to throw a question out that we, we touched on it already, but I want to get your final thoughts on it now that we hit a, a wider range of topics in this conversation. Pete, everybody wants to see a winner at Rutgers. How long is it going to take? And what are the couple pieces, the last few pieces that you need as a former player and as a current fan what are the pieces that you'd like to see fall in place over the next year that gives you a lot of hope heading into the next few years of this uh, Rutgers football program? Well, we, we need to continue to rec recruit well, and I think that we are. We need to 
continue to develop the players that we have. And I think actually the strength staff does a phenomenal job of that. Uh, I think they're very, very good in that, in that department. Um, you know, and I think we just need to continue to recruit, uh, talented kids. To, uh, you know, I, I think, um, uh, you know, the, the back seven you know, on defense, that's you basically return that whole unit next year. Right. Um, you know, a lot of the wide receivers are young. Uh, you do have a, a talented freshman quarterback, you know, we'll see what he could do at, at some point, I'm sure. So I, I think there are a lot of positive things, but, you know, at the same time, it, it's going to take some time. Um, you know, I, I think, I mean, you really don't know. It's a year from now. Who knows what could happen? But it, I think it's it's possible that, that we could go bowling next year. I think it, you know, might be a, like a, a coin flip at this point. Um, you know, uh, I don't think we're, we're that. I know it can feel like we're far off. And, and in the instant gratification era, people feel like we're really far away. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting better, believe it or not. We're getting better. Uh, we just need to continue to progress, continue to recruit well, continue to develop. And then, you know, Co- Coach Ash, at the end of the day, he's, he's still learning how to, how to be a head coach. And, uh, you know, um, that, that takes time. That, that takes time to, to, to get into your own groove. So, um, yeah, I know, I know Rutgers fans don't necessarily always want to have patience but there's really nothing we could do at this point but but be patient support the team and look look for uh for the improvement on the field wherever we could find it you know outside of uh the score obviously the score is very important but um you know it's it's just it's tough right now We're we're in the storm right now we're still in the building phase well you mentioned the building that's what has me you know excited about the 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 future, particularly next year, because, well, first of all, just from literally building, Rutgers is has shovels in the ground. Things are changing. I didn't feel like that was happening a few years ago. I thought once Shiano left, there was this kind of lull and things weren't progressing from a facility standpoint. But there seems to be a lot of momentum in terms of uh, an activated donor base, facilities being built. And also, just from building the, the team standpoint, I feel like Ash has a plan. The, you know, I, I question the grad transfers, but I really think that he's done a really good job of identifying grad transfers, other transfers, uh, done a pretty good job finding some talented walk-ons. And so even though a couple of those guys are going to graduate this year, I feel pretty confident that he's going to go back out and find people if he needs to fill some holes. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I, I you know, I equate this process to, to building a house, you know, so 2016, we you know, that off season was a tear down. Right. And then we've spent really the last year or so pouring a foundation. I, I uh, you know, the new weight room, the new, the new uh, practice fields are fantastic. The new nutrition program for the team life after the game team GPA back up, uh, you know, really no off the field issues. Uh, so that's all, that's all good stuff. Right. And that's all building a foundation recruiting. Well, that's building a foundation, but you know, what we're doing right now is planting seeds and you don't see that immediately. So as far as the house building stage goes, like this year, we're kind of putting up the framing, right? And then maybe at the end of the year, we'll have, uh, you know, the, the drywall in. And then 2018, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, 
the tiles getting laid and, and the kitchen and bathroom are going in and the granite's going in and people are like, Ooh, this, this kind of starting to look nice. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's still early in the building uh, phase, but that, that's, that's where I equate it to. Yeah. I look at the recruiting class right now and I like what I see. And that's a big fear moving forward that they might lose some of those guys. Cause if they want to continue building in the way that you're saying, they have to obviously increase the talent that's on the team, but if they could do it, you know, if they can hold on to those players and continue to sell them on that vision, things should be moving up. What do you think about the class so far? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's, it's pretty decent. Uh, we, so, you know, in my line of work, I just, you know, probabilities are, uh, something I focus on. Like it's likely we will lose a kid or two. That's just how the recruiting process works today. And obviously the staff doesn't want that to happen. You know, I don't want it to happen. Uh, but it's, it wouldn't like, it wouldn't surprise me at all. That's just how it is nowadays. And, you know, on the flip side, we'll probably take a kid or two from another school. So, um, you know, but, uh, really like the kid, uh, from Staten Island, think he's going to be a really good player, the wide receiver, uh, really like the old lineman. They, they got a commitment from in uh, South Carolina. Uh, he's a good player. I like both running backs. I think they're uh, a nice combo of each other. Um, can't really think of anyone else off the top of my head. I guess the punter <laughs> from uh, Pro Kick Australia, because uh, I am big on special teams. Uh, you know, hopefully that's a nice addition. Um, you know, so uh, I, I do think they have. Uh, you know, they are recruiting some some decent players, um, especially out of state. Actually, the the other the two kids from Georgia I like a lot too. The linebacker and, and the receiver. Those two kids are good players as well. So, you know, I think they're doing it. I actually think they're doing a good job if, uh, you know, New, Jer- New Jersey isn't uh, feeling them in a particular year that they're going out and identifying kids out of state uh, who could play, not just, you know, who will take us because we're their only offer. Uh, but those kids, you know, a lot of those kids could play, which is a good sign. One thing that I really am intrigued about when it comes to recruiting players from outside of the state is that. Well, when you're in state, Rutgers is close. It's familiar. Sometimes you want to get away. You want to spread your wings. When Rutgers is looking even just over the border into New York State, it's different. It's a shinier program. It's You're getting away. Even if you're just crossing the river and coming into New Jersey, to many kids, that's far away enough. And when you combine the kids that Rutgers has locally with those kids that they get from New York, Pennsylvania, beyond, I know they're looking elsewhere, I think you can put together a pretty nice class. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think what a lot of New Jersey kids don't realize is when you go to Rutgers, you're you're away from home. You know, it's not like mom and dad are going to come bother you. Uh, you're you're gone. And it, on the flip side, what's really nice is if you're homesick or you just want your laundry done or a home cooked meal, then you go drive. I don't know an hour or so wherever you live. You know, back home for the night or for the weekend, which is really awesome. You know, you, you can't do those things at Wisconsin or Boston College or you know, or Virginia tech. So, um, that's, that's an advantage. I don't think a lot of New Jersey kids realize, but it's actually a a really nice perk. Uh, once you're in the program, I remember seeing a lot of Tverdov shirts and jerseys around Rutgers stadium back when you were playing. I'm sure that was special for you, but I'm sure it's also special for you in another way. Now that you get to see your brother playing for the Scarlet. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, and this is another thing I, I told him about, and I, I think, uh, coaches, that recruit Rutgers should let their 
let the recruits know is, um, you know, when you go to school far away at the end of the game, when, when everyone's outside waiting for their, you know, for their son and their parents and friends are there, you have kids who are out of state and they take their bag and they sling it over their shoulder and they go back and walk home to the dorm room. And it's kind of sad in a way that, you know, their, uh, their family and friends don't get to see them. You know, I, I thought it was awesome that, you know, after games, I would see my family and friends, we would go out and celebrate, um, you know, I, to me that that was really important, and, and it was nice to have. And, and I get that she could watch the kid on TV, but it's, you know, in my opinion, I don't know. I, I just I think it's uh, kind of stinks, you know, the, for the kid who who, li- who lives a, a two hour flight away. He has a good game, and really no one no one's there, you know, to give him a hug or you know to high five him and and hang out with him afterwards. Well, Pete, I'm gonna let you go. I want to just thank you so much for coming on and I sure hope you choose to come back and join us sometime. You have a lot of great insight. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I'm happy to do it, John. I appreciate you having me on here. Well, I have two last little tidbits before I let you go. There are recordings that Bobby made at practice today. He went with the same question I had for Pete. How does Rutgers turn this thing around? The first person we're going to talk to is Kyle Boland followed by Miles Nash. So with no further ado, let's turn it over to Miles Nash. Miles, what do you think this team needs to do to turn things around? Um, you just got to continue to compete, you know, uh, work hard and, and and not overlook opponents and things like that. I, I think um, every 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 team in college football, you, I, I think sometimes when, they, when their schedule comes out, they look at teams and they're like, all right, W, W, W. I think every team does that. And uh, it's hard not to do that. But um, biggest thing for us is just continue to work and just, you know, just continue to just go out and compete and, and prepare for every team the same way. So um, as far as improving, uh, I look at teams like uh, Iowa last year, uh, who lost to North Dakota State, lost to Rutgers, and then uh, they turned around and beat Michigan. So um, I think the sky's still the limit for us. Um, none of us are discouraged about it. So I'm excited to go out this weekend and try to get a W. Interesting to hear Miles talk about overlooking the opponent, something that Pete mentioned earlier. And it's also something that I don't think Rutgers fans are going to have to worry about moving forward. So let's take it over to Kyle Boland, get his perspective on what went wrong and what Rutgers could do to improve things moving forward. Kyle, is there anything specific that this team needs to do to turn things around? I just think that we need to believe that we can win. You know, I, I wasn't here last year, and I hate to bring it up, but, uh, you know, it wasn't a very successful year, and a lot of these guys haven't tasted a win in a while. And I think sometimes going into a game, you know, guys can sometimes play hesitant, you know, like kind of like going, put it into baseball terminology, like going up to the plate trying not to strike out instead of going up to the plate getting a, trying to get a hit. And I think that once we kind of just flush all that stuff out and we believe that we can be a very good football team, and we come together and we start working together and we go out trying to figure out how much we're going to beat a team by whether or not or whether than, you know, trying hoping not to lose. And I think once we get that mindset, we're going to be very good. Well, Rutgers is going to have a chance to get into that mindset this weekend. Folks, I want to thank you so much for listening to the Scarlet Nation podcast. If you enjoy what you listen to, please give us a rating on iTunes and also just come down to ScarletNation.com, interact with us on the message boards. We love what we do. We love building our community and giving you the best possible Rutgers coverage that we can. Thank you again and have a great weekend.